And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And our guest this week is Nancy Kay. Nancy is a lifelong photojournalist, and she's worked at or with lots of places, uh, Associated Press, uh, my local paper, the Washington Post, New York Times. She worked under Maggie Stieber, and her, she was her photo editor, and many other things. Uh, so I'm really excited to have you on today. I I want I need to learn lots of things from you. So so you're gonna teach me much. So welcome. Thanks for being with Thank us. You. Great to be here after listening to your podcast and sometimes talking out loud to you. <laughs> oh no, you're not swearing at me, are you? No, no, no. <laughs> Just adding my opinion. <laughs> oh good. Well, now now you can do it right here. That's right. I hope you jotted all that down. Yeah. Well, anyway, Nancy, uh, before we get in too deep, why don't you tell us how you became a photojournalist? Uh, I am not one of these people who started photography as a child. <laughs> um, it wasn't until halfway through college that I picked up my first camera. Um, I had to take a, a photography class as a required uh, requirement for what I was majoring in, which was advertising, which I left very quickly um, once I discovered photography, especially. But um, I was uh, renting a room in a in a house, and somebody was breaking into somebody else's room, and I said, "You know, can I help you?" <laughs> And he said, oh, my my girlfriend has my camera and I wanted to get it back. So I said, oh, I'm going to take photography class this semester. And he said, well, stop by the yearbook office. Well, that was life changing. Wow. I stopped by the yearbook office. That person who was trying to get his camera was Mark Greenberg, who went on to oh. work for Life Magazine, Time Magazine. He co-founded Visions Photo Agency. Um, he was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. And also at Kent State at the time um, was uh, J. Ross Bauman. And he went, he actually did win a Pulitzer Prize. Um, so I got involved with the yearbook and what was really unusual about that yearbook is it was modeled after Life magazine. So we didn't do like, you know, silly pictures that were, um, you know, groups of people standing doing nothing. We did photo stories, which was such great training. Yeah. And it just became my second home, the whole yearbook office and the newspaper office. I switched my major to photojournalism and I had exposure to professional journalists all the time when we had um, the Kent State uh, anniversary of the shootings. So it was a really, I was catapulted into it. It was very, very quick and late. It was halfway through college, but it was great. It was it was really like falling in love. It's like, oh my God, I found what I wanted. So and I right. was really lucky. I mean, to to go from that um right out of school, I went back to New York, where I'm from, and my father had built me a dark room. And I I went into the city. And I photographed things and I came across pictures of Walter Mondale and I didn't have press credentials, so I couldn't go into the official press conference. So I thought, oh, I got a scoop. I got these early and I called AP and they said, well, you know, we'll send somebody to pick up your film. And they developed it and I waited and I called and they said, well, it's in focus. It's like. <laughs> Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> and they said, you'd be surprised. So 
Um, they said, but we already had pictures, but thank you. And I said, can I do more work for you? And they said, well, come in with a portfolio. Um, there were Olympics were going on in Canada. And I think the photo editor who was Maggie Steber at the time, she was out of town. When she comes back, you know, make an appointment, show your portfolio. Well, as luck would have it, in the interim, there was a hurricane on Long Island. And my father said to me, why don't you go out and see if there's any kind of damage? So I went and I photographed uh, a tree that had fallen into a neighbor's yard. Um, and I came home and silly me, I, I developed the film and I took precious time. And then I called Newsday, the local newspaper. And they said, well, hurry over. So I went over with the negatives and they knocked out what they were planning and they put my picture across a, a page and a half. And I just happened to have my appointment to show my portfolio the next day. And those pictures were in Newsday. And when I showed my portfolio, I said, oh, and I have pictures in Newsday today. It's like, I don't know, something, you know, something was uh, crossing my, my path. I had some luck. And then I started to do some spec work for AP. And then um, because I had relatives in, in London, I said, hey, can I do this in London? You know, I, I had started to get assignments. I said, can I do some of this in London? And they said, sure. They wrote a letter to the London um, uh, AP. And I went over and I worked for about a little less than two years. And I got to work with um, Horst Foss, who was a photo editor. And, well, he was a great photographer, but at the time he was a photo editor. And then when I decided I didn't want to stay in London, I came back to New York and I continued working for AP. And then I was doing some work at the National Democratic National Convention. And all the publications set up temporary offices at Madison Square Garden for mm -hmm. that. So when I went to bring my film in, I was introduced to the editor at the New York Times and the Washington Post. And they, before I could reach out to them, they said, we put you in our Rolodex, Rolodex at the time. Sure. So I, I really had a, it seemed like it all came my way. It was, it was very smooth. Um, and I did that work for those three publications or news organizations for, I don't know, about 12 years before moving back, not back, before leaving New York and moving to Los Angeles. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. And all because you went to Kent State of all places. I'm yeah. sorry, I went to OU, so I, I can make fun of Kent State. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That was great. That's great. You know, you just never know what's going to happen, right? Never All because know. that guy was trying to break into your friend's room. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I just really, um, I just was surrounded by really talented people who um, they thought stories. Yeah. Um, so it was it was really great and. Um, it's those early days and my training in journalism, it's just really taken a hold on my street photography. Um, it really guides the way mm -hmm. that I think about street photography because I really value something that communicates. I really try to instill that in my photography. It, it I look for it to say something because I think Photography has so much power. You know, it can entertain, communicate, uh, evoke emotion. Sure. And those were all of the things that I learned as a 
a journalism student. So. So what happened to you throughout your early career? Do you see that being able to happen to somebody today? The way the news business has changed, newspaper business? Well, there's a lot less face-to-face interaction. Mm -hmm. So the idea that I was at this, you know, a temporary office at Madison Square Garden where all the different news organizations had desks and I could see somebody and meet somebody face-to-face, I don't think that would happen now. Um, With digital, you you, um, send your pictures electronically. Um, People don't look at a portfolio and interact with you at the same time. Sure. So somebody might just see my pictures, but not be able to hear a story behind how it came about or anything like that. Sure. And they don't see the person behind them either. Yeah. That's not to say there aren't advantages. You know, I think I've heard of people who get discovered because somebody sees their work on Instagram. Mm -hmm. It's just different. And of course, I think those people are much more comfortable and um, frequent with posting. I'm not. I'm not. It's it's something I do uh, very occasionally. Yeah, I understand. I I keep telling myself myself I should, and I don't. Yeah. You know, I I think I posted something on Facebook the other day. It's first time in months. Yeah, I tend to post when I have some news, like if I've been included in an exhibition, uh, if I've been featured um, mm-hmm. in some publication, uh, if I'm uh, organizing a call for entry or, you know promoting something, my classes. But um, I I do uh, hope that or struggle to post things that are just interesting pictures because I enjoy looking at other people's pictures. I find it very inspiring. Mm-hmm. So I figure, well, I should jump into the conversation. So, so of course, you, you made your living as a photographer, do you, but and you look at other people's work, do you find yourself comparing yourself to others or are you way beyond that since you, I'm sure, know yourself and your own style so well? I don't compare myself to others in a way that I'm um, uh, trying to reach what I'm seeing, uh-huh. I compare myself to others in a way that is more like I see somebody and I say, yes, yes, that's my style. And there's uh-huh. another person seeing things and reaching for something that has a twist to it, a little something that communicates. Um, so I compare myself in that way, or I see somebody and I I think I just don't see the the merit. I don't I don't see that. I don't there's not that something special in it. So I'm always I am always critiquing. Mm-hmm. I you know I I did earn my living as a photographer, but I also for a long time now have been teaching. It it fit very well with raising kids. And so I started teaching photography um, on the community uh, education level. And so I was always dissecting what makes a good photo. Mm -hmm. Um, So I look at photos that way. I really look closely, you know, how do you get somebody to see what you want them to see? So, you know, I always tell my students, when you're out shooting, you need to really pick up your camera for a reason. What is it that you're noticing? And then with your composition, 
you need to be able to show the viewer. So the most successful pictures are the ones where somebody sees what you saw. And yeah. that's a tall order. But I, like I said, those are my journalism roots to, to do that, to communicate. I know myself, I'm an amateur. I'm probably similar to people who take your classes. And uh, I find myself often, because I look at lots of photos, obviously, from lots of people. And many, many of them are so good. And I look and I go, gee, I should be doing something like that. But it's not something I normally do. You know, do I switch mm -hmm. gears and go chase that? Uh, or do I just just register that to keep in mind for, you know, future purpose of some some point? And you probably see this a lot with your students, I'm sure. Um, well, I, I see that with with students. I see that just when I look at pictures, you know, I'm connected um, in the photo community and, you know, through social media. And so I see what a lot of other people are doing. Yeah. People who are um, being honored or, you know, publishing books. And what I've done is I've, it's made me really stretch and think about doing things that are different than my natural impulse. Mm -hmm. So I've definitely through teaching and through social media, knowing what other people are doing, I have definitely expanded my opinion of what good photography is. I, I like things that are pictorial, even though that's, that would be new for me to do. Mm -hmm. um, I like things that are um, just more aesthetically pleasing things that have a wow factor, but might not have that humanity in it. Uh -huh. um, so I, I definitely think through my teaching and seeing, you know, other people's vision, I've definitely uh, opened my mind to all kinds of photography. So that's been really good. And then I, I do more of my own photography that has a wider aesthetic range, um, especially because um, I've been connected to your daily photograph for uh, a few years and I've had, I've been featured. That's the daily email that comes with three or four images um, that are for sale and it's organized through the Duncan Miller Gallery. And I was honored about a year ago by being named to their Hot 100 list. Total surprise, because it wasn't anything I applied for. But through that, they're very fine art or fine art oriented. So I've tried to um, expand my range so that you know, I, I, I still, I still make my pictures from what I see in reality, but it's what I choose. Sometimes it's people and a juxtaposition and an expression and a body language. It's very journalistic. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a little more artful. I'd like to take a quick break to thank the Street Photography Magazine subscribers for your support. We couldn't do this without you. You may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast or inside Street Photography Magazine itself. And that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover. Our only constituent is you, our listeners and readers. So if you like what we're doing, you can support the show by subscribing to Street Photography Magazine. It's only $3.75 per month with a one-year subscription, per month with a one-year subscription. And you can do it by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe. And now back to the show. You know, why don't you tell us more about your daily photograph? What, what is it all about and how does it work? 
Well, your daily photograph is, um, uh, it has a tremendous reach and it's something that can, um, your daily photograph has a very wide reach and it reaches curators and collectors. Mm -hmm. So it's very much taught me about uh, selling pictures for the collectible market. And that would include making limited editions. So if I submit a picture for your daily photo for inclusion and it gets chosen, it will usually be something that is a limited edition of maybe 12, 15, meaning that once I sell, you know, 12 of them, that's it. Uh -oh. No more gets sold. And, you know, I'm, I'm not um, worried about uh, exceeding that number. I should be so lucky. <laughs> but it, it's taught me a lot about uh, that. And pictures should be signed on the back. So the idea of having somebody, a lab, print and ship your picture would not make it collectible because yeah. it's it's like a poster if it's not signed. Do you print those yourself or I mean do you or have them printed and then fulfill it yourself or does that all handled by the gallery? No, it's not handled by the gallery. Um I generally have printed the work myself. Mm -hmm. Um I did have a snafu with my uh, compute, my uh, uh, printer. I just have a um, a desktop Canon a Pro Ten printer. Um, has you know archival ink. I use archival paper, um, but generally, um, I, I only had a commercial printer print a couple of times. Generally, I do it myself, but. The trick is to keep your printer running. Um, that's what I heard. Everything clogs up. So yeah, that's what I heard. I, I just bought one. Mark yeah. Indy got me started. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I just I just bought a Canon. I got which the, one? I got the Pro Two Hundred, which is a dye based and not pigment based. But I'm not selling my my prints. But uh, yeah, I've been. I just got it like two weeks ago. I'm, you know, I've been testing paper. And what's the so, largest? What What's the largest uh, image it makes? It's uh, thirteen by nineteen. I think it's yeah. thirteen. It's thirteen inches wide. Yeah, that that's uh, that's the same one I have. Oh, or do you? Similar. Yeah, similar. yeah. I think that the newer version of yours is probably the Pro Three Hundred. Yours is probably probably pigment based ink. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, but uh, I, I'm loving it. I've been putting it off for years because I, I knew, you know, it just seems real fiddly when you're first getting into it. Mm -hmm. But it makes me feel that my photos are real. They're just not. They're just not floating out there on a hard drive somewhere or, or on the cloud. Right. And right. you have yeah. to be picky. I do a lot of black and white, so if I, I've had to find just the right paper to print black and white. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, um, a guy out here who works with freestyle photo. Eric yes. Joseph, I, I've, been, I've been watching some videos of his. As a matter of fact, I'm going to invite him on here. Mark says I need to invite him. Oh, yeah, he's, he's a great he's guy. something else. He is really great. And um, he's uh, he's helped me a lot. I had a project that I was going to exhibit uh, at the LA Public Library right before COVID struck and changed the plans. But um, I did do some printing with his guidance. And uh, it, it really was so... Uh, an eye opener because he really knows a lot about different paper. Yes, and the the chemistry of it and all that. So it there's was interesting. To, there's a lot to it. 
Yeah. How, how does it compare to printing printing in the dark room for you? Since you probably did a lot of dark room printing. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's easier. Yeah. Because uh, you can, um, as you are seeing the outcome, you can make changes and then try it again. Yeah. Like phot photoshopping um, different areas, burning and dodging and, you know. So it, much it was, easier. Yeah, I mean, all in all, digital is m my preference. I'm not one of these people who laments um, the the, uh, the days or misses the days of film. I don't. Not at all. <laughs> no. I, you know, my my preference um, with photography is for something that has meaningful content. So I'm not really looking at the quality of the or the richness of the details and that that's important, but it's really so much more for me about the content. So I'm not seeing a difference in the aesthetics between film and digital. Yeah, that 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 takes a lot of time away from making the images. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I um I also <laughs> I have binders and binders of negatives that really need to be archived. I have way too much uh, accumulated to add to it with more film shooting. Yeah. Yeah, that brings up something I was curious about. And, you know, you've probably made tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of images, I'm sure, in your lifetime. And it, well, I, I tell you what brings us up. I've seen on Facebook a lot. People are posting their 10 best images from 2022. Mm. I've seen some really good stuff. And I've been thinking about, well, maybe I should pick out my 10 best. And I'm like struggling with finding them. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, nowhere, I, I, I have a pretty decent system for managing things in Lightroom. But, you know, if you were to pick out your 10 best images, since you started, mm. could you yeah. could you find them, and how do you decide? Because yeah. you've got so much to choose from, and yeah, maybe it's easier to do question. that for somebody else. Yeah, that that's a good question. Um, I could probably not find my ten best images if they are shot on film, mm. unless I've scanned them for some reason. Yeah. And I have scanned some of them, but I was actually just thinking this morning that I probably have some really good street photos in my negative archives that I have not looked at in years and have forgotten about. I bet you do. And I feel I feel frustrated with that because um getting everything scanned and organized is really quite overwhelming. In fact, one of my resolutions is I have to take care of that. I have got to take care. I have some I think some historic and valuable stuff. Um, and I really, um, I'm, I'm looking to see if I could get somebody to help with that because it's not something I'm going to do by myself. It's so. hard. I have a negative scanner. It was actually my son's. My son was a photojournalist for a while. Oh. Yeah, he, he went to Ohio University mm -hmm. as a photojournalism major. And he um, worked for a year. At a newspaper after it came out, small market paper, and then the wheels came off the newspaper industry. Yeah, it got got laid off. Went up managing a photo studio uh, for a catalog company for several years. Did a lot of product, a lot of product work, but 
He's now just about to become an engineer. <laughs> really? What? What? Like a software engineer? Uh, no, actually, a mechanical engineer. Oh, interesting. And yeah, well, you know, he he was in Texas um, with the studio. The company was having trouble. He broke up with his girlfriend, moved back east to Washington D.C. and and um, started. Um, he was still doing photography. He was photographing jewelry for some high-end jewelry store who was selling like expensive stuff online. So he's doing that for them. And then he started as a part-time teacher at a, an academy there and uh, was, was like tutoring math. Turns out he loved math. Mm. Starts taking all these courses, was going to become a teacher, actually became a teacher for a while and then decided he wanted to be, he liked it so much. He wanted to be an engineer. So he, Back to school, he's getting ready to finish to be an engineer. Hasn't picked up a camera. He's like such a fabulous photographer. Yeah, he'll probably get back to it. Yeah, he will. He will. But, uh, God, we, yeah, we got off track here. But uh, anyway, yeah, he, he was a photojournalist uh, through the program at Ohio University, which was really good. When we yes. were in school, they dropped the whole photography program at OU. And anybody who wanted to go into photojournalism would have had to go up to Kent or to Ohio State. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, nobody's listening to this could care less about the state schools <laughs> in Ohio. But <laughs> it, it did just kind of uh, remind me of something important about my um, my early days or my um, my early street photography. I I would always have my camera with me. Yeah. And I was coming and going from assignments. And a lot of uh, the street photos that I took were kind of mixed in with my assignment work mm -hmm. because I would still have my camera out. And so that kind of stuff is mixed in with my archives. And it really would be interesting for me to go through those. And, and uh, hopefully I will um, find somebody to help me with the scanning and organizing, and I can bring those to the light of day. Uh, that would be very, very satisfying for me. Yeah, so your negatives are in binders, they're probably cut into strips. Yeah, they're yeah, in pieces. So you'd, have to, yeah. so you'd have to pull each of those out. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of editing. I have to go through them and pick, sure. am I going to scan the whole strip? Am I going to scan a frame? I've done a lot of my own scanning and I have to so, find a better way if I'm going to do all the archive, archives. Sure. I mean, good. I've done some scanning because occasionally I get calls for um, reusing somebody, a uh, photo of somebody famous. Mm -hmm. uh, some of my stuff's been included in documentaries and um, books. Uh, I have. I have all of my celebrity work organized very well because I did yeah. a lot of portrait sessions uh, on location. I'm not a studio photographer, but I've done a lot of portrait sessions on location for the Washington Post. Um, and I have all of that very well organized, but that's the extent of my organization with my negatives. And my digital stuff is organized well. And with that, I just, my goal is I just have to delete more. I know it's, I've heard you talk about, do you delete or don't you delete? Oh, I, I feel like I've put in a good day's work if I go through my stuff and I delete. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I go back and forth. I'm pretty much of a hoarder, I think. Yeah. I probably don't, I don't adhere to your, your teaching of, you know, have a purpose when you pick up the camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it helps me. I like to roam around with my camera, yeah. but I have a lot of themes and projects that I always kind of keep in mind and add to. Uh, so I'm, you know, I might see um, uh, somebody who is 
you know, wearing an unusual hat. It was like, oh, I'm gravitating towards that because uh-huh. whole collection like that. Um, but I don't, I, I don't say I set out to do something like that. I think that I look through my images and I see a commonality in what I've already shot. So one of my um, favorite of my own projects is on female image. And I was going through my work looking for, you know, something to submit to a competition. And I realized so many of these pictures have to do with vanity and female image and, you know, you know, the way that women are portrayed as what is considered classic beauty. And I put them all together and I made an artist statement about it. And it's uh, it's a pretty strong project that I presented. So I think I love the idea of photo essay. You know, it's one of the favorite classes that I teach. And I saw helping, that helping photographers to develop their their photo essays. So it does so, it does help in um, uh, just roaming around and not feeling. Uh, aimless, not knowing what to shoot. Uh, that's a tough one for a lot of street photographers. Yeah, it is. So it when is. you when you look through your own archives and you see a commonality there, do you run with it? I and do. Keep doing it? Okay. I do. I do. Um, I have a lot. I have a lot of them. Um, and I know some of them have been done before. Like uh, Andre Cortez did a book called On Reading. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just captivated me. I saw it probably um, early, early on when I learned photography. And I was really taken by the fact that every picture had to do with a book, even if it was a picture of a, of a painting. Like, like, I don't know, if you look at the the work it's almost like a where's waldo in every in every image there's something to do with reading but it might not be the most obvious uh element in the picture and i was so influenced by that that i from way back have started you know photographing that and i always add to it i and then I really love the synergy of putting pictures together. You know, when you have one good picture, well, it's appealing, it's interesting, but you put a few pictures together on a theme or as a story, and it just takes on so much more power. And I really, really enjoy that. Um, how do you learn to do that and working with other people yeah Yeah. that's how do you learn to do that you know i i think that my early uh influence with in college Hmm. where we did the yearbook that was Mm -hmm. about story and and one of my first projects um for a photography class was um, that we had to do a story. And um, one of my friends, I think it was Mark, went out with me and kind of walked me through. We did it on uh, the train men um, of the uh, freight train that passed through um, Ravenna. I think Mm -hmm. it was uh, somewhere near Kent. And, you know, it just is... Um, ingrained in me from those early days. Um, and I have honed it through my teaching. In fact, I, I've I've honed a lot of things because teaching has forced me or required me to really think about photography, to really think about composition so that I could explain it to other people. I had to really dive into it in a way that I probably wouldn't have otherwise, I would probably just follow my intuition, but 
teaching, leading workshops, I've really had to articulate it. And I'm I'm glad for that. I'm I'm really I'm glad for that. Yeah, I think when you teach something, you learn so much more than the students do. Yeah, I learned a lot from my students. Like I said, it really has opened my eyes to, you know, other types of photography and other, you know, um, other styles. Um, In fact, I, I, you know, in some of my photo essay classes, I have encouraged students to, you know, maybe make a project that's just about the style of shooting, like, and one example would be, um, there's a photographer, I forget her name, but all of her pictures are blurred action. So you can't really tell what's going on in the picture, Mm -hmm. but they're very painterly and they all look like they work together. Mm. You, You could look at one of them and say, you know, that fits with that, you know, the pictures fit together. So, yeah, that's kind of a tangent, isn't it? <laughs> nah, not really. Not really. Yeah. I, I want to go back to this, the commonality thing, because I think anybody who's been shooting for a while has that in their in their archives, and maybe yeah. you don't even recognize it. And But... Just looking at the practical aspect of managing that. So I do. I assume you work in Lightroom, right? Actually, I uh, I don't. I, oh, okay. Great. I I want to. Yeah. Um, I am very comfortable with Bridge and Adobe Camera Raw, mm-hmm. and I know that they're very similar, except for the catalogs. So yeah. I just um I. Remember some cautions about uh, Lightroom not being able to find your pictures if you make changes after you import them. And so I've been worried mm. about embarking on Lightroom and yeah. losing uh, losing images. Yeah, we well, sure don't want to do that. Yeah, um, but I think that um, I should probably just try it. I have a friend who wants to, she teaches and she wants to um, experiment on me. (laughs) (laughs) Back up, back up, back up, back up. But I do use, uh, I do use bridge Mm -hmm. to um, keyword. Keywording is super, super important. That is how I can keep track of all these different themes. I also have an Excel spreadsheet. And I have um, the different themes and what the keyword is in case I forget. Um, and then I, I do a project statement. I'm a very big believer in um, titles and text uh, and project statements to enhance uh, the, the images. And I think that... Um, when I see the pictures together, I'm inspired to explain it. And that that's the heart of my f- project statement. I'm also lucky enough to be married to a writer. So oh, I, get, I do get help. I have to say, I get a lot of help. I've learned a lot over the years about writing. Yeah, I, I think it's so important to, to write about your work. And like you said earlier, when you were talking about comp- teaching composition to be able to articulate your thinking. Yes. And yes. I know we get lots of article submissions and mm-hmm. we require text to go with the article. It's just not pictures. You know, you can go on Facebook and look at lots of pictures. And, and I hear all the time, my photos do my speaking for me. Right. It's, it's hard. I mean, it, it it's hard to write about yourself and, and your own stuff, but. I think it's it important. Is. It is. And and likewise, you know, you don't want your text to take the the place of a, a mm. poor photo. So it's uh, it's a careful balance. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I I really have fun 
with that part when I do a photo essay class of helping students with the project statement. I I think that's a lot of fun. I break it down um, into like kind of interview questions and that's the skeleton of their project statement. So you have a series of questions to ask yourself? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And one of the most important element I think in a project statement is what does it mean to you? You know, don't don't tell the viewer what they can already see. And you know, why is this project important to you? Wow. And that's a question that may take a while to answer. And with my project female image, you know, I I definitely with some thought see the connection to the way that I was raised. You know, I was raised looking at Seventeen magazine and fashion magazines and feeling inadequate. It's like it resonates with me to show this in my photos. I had an aunt and a a mother who were very into dressing up. And, you know, and I, you know, I was wearing overalls and flannel shirts. Of course. These are things that definitely have... um, uh, an explanation. My my work with female image in that project, it definitely has an explanation. Yeah, so, I don't want to go off on this, but just think about what young women have to deal with today on Instagram and yes. Facebook, where they're taking these pictures of themselves and in front of mirrors and Absolutely. sometimes editing them to make themselves look skinnier or whatever. I it's I think it's got to be really tough on kids these days. Yes, it yeah. is. And I you know, one of my earlier um photos did have to do with people looking in mirrors and this goes back to, you know, the 70s, 1970s mm-hmm. um and so this has really been something that I'm I gravitate to. And as far as, you know, um adolescence now, I I really enjoy being able to do a little bit to instill a positive self-image in young women. You know, I work with middle school kids in an after-school program, and I teach photography, but I'm not teaching the mechanics of it because they come in with all kinds of different cameras. Yeah. Sometimes even a phone, but the idea that they can develop their inner self and that they can share their vision. It's not just people looking at them, but you know, how are they seeing the world? Yeah. And I just really feel like that's important. And I'm just glad, you know, maybe even it's, if it's just a, a few people who I influence, I'm glad for that. Yeah. You know, even if there's just one, if you can help them make yes. a difference, it's, I don't know, that's so important. Yeah. Teaching in general is like that for me. I, I think, um, I, I think it may touch people in ways that they don't let me know. I mean, sometimes I do get wonderful feedback, but, you know, I, I think learning a new skill that you can use to express yourself is pretty valuable. So. Yeah, I tell you, I was, um, I've been in the, the martial arts most of my life as a teacher. And uh, I, I, I knew this guy, he's a man now. Uh, his mother is one of my fellow instructors. And he just stopped me after class one day. And he just said, you know, I just want to tell you. It, and he comes from a family divorce his parents were divorced when he was pretty young and he just stopped me after class outside and he said i just want to thank you for the difference you made in my life for what you've taught me just by your example and and the skills and i i just was blown away wow that's blown away by that i go wow i said and i couldn't even say anything to him at the time right yeah i mean how can you um how can you put any kind of um value on on that i mean how can yeah. you 
How can you not value that? I mean, that's empowering. That's that's a wonderful thing to be able to do for someone. Yes, yes. And didn't even know I was doing it. And he's now a school teacher. And he wrote a thing on Facebook how one of his students came to him and said something similar. Uh And I had really never told him what that did to me. So I wrote to him and I said, you know, that was really powerful what what you said about your student. I just want to say you did that for me one day and I've never forgotten it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of um, something that I did during the pandemic, um, which was a very uh, creative time for me and very uh, productive. Um, I, I led workshops to document the pandemic. Oh, wow. And we created 10 exhibitions that were online. Um, I did it through American Jewish University, mm. their community ed department. Um, I guess it's continuing at the Wizen Center. They're not offering those photo classes anymore. The um, person who was uh, director of uh, programming and classes is now at LACP. Oh. But we work together to create these exhibitions and it's a became a wonderful timeline of the pandemic and some of the students had said to me at the time this is really great because i'm um feeling so isolated and this is a way for me to put that um feeling into my work and this is a way for me to get out of the house and take pictures. It was that little nudge, that push. And then we did um, a text with each picture. It was mm-hmm. just a really nice way for us to document what was going on and to just get that kind of connection among everybody and to express ourselves. I'm just sorry that those pictures were taken down. Oh, is it available online anywhere to see? No, I have all the pictures. Uh, Each exhibition had about 50 images and text to go with each one, like a little personal story. Uh And I have all of it. Um, and I would like to do something with it. I'd really like to either make a book or put it back online if possible. I think with time, it's going to be an important historical document. I I think so too. Yeah. But it was, it was a really, um, important part of the pandemic for me. Probably helped you through it, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I discovered teaching on Zoom. I thought it was great. <laughs> it's real handy. It is. I know a lot of people talk about wanting to get back in um into uh more person to person activities. And I, I agree, but it's opened up a whole new world to be able to do things um with Zoom. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, not too long ago, to be able to do the same thing Zoom does, you'd pay hundreds of dollars a month. And now it was $15 a month for, for a basic account. Right. And what you right. can do with it. I, I, I like it a lot. But we're, of course, we're talking via Zoom. There you go. You yeah, reach people and, all over the country or all over the world. Yeah, and, and they've improved the audio. So their audio yeah. used to be a little little sketchy, but yeah. so now we just do our, you know, we do these podcasts and, and our other interviews. Hey, before we go, I, I need to ask you uh, about one of your personal projects. I um, I've become fascinated by multi-generational projects, I guess that's what you'd call it. Uh, A while ago, I discovered Nicholas Nixon's The Brown Sisters, where he 
for the last 40 years now, I think, has been photographing his wife and her three sisters. Wow. With the, um, he uses a eight by 10 view camera. And so it starts out in 1975. There, I think the youngest sister was 15 and he's been taking them posing about the same way for mm. all these years. And then it, it, it's pretty amazing that they're still letting him do it. Wow. And, um, yeah. So if you've never seen it, I, I encourage you to look yeah, at I'll it. Look that and, up. Um, I'll, I'll give you a link because I looked at it again before we talked and uh, somebody on somebody's website, you know, they have all the photos. They did a really nice article about it and it's, they, they scroll up really nicely. Um, but you did something kind of similar. The, um, the um, jump rope girls. Oh yeah, yeah. Where you photo? Yeah, you did that. What for the New York Times in in the nineteen eighties? Well, I uh, the original story was for the New York Times yeah. in the nineteen eighties. It was an assignment about a group of uh, young girls in a rough neighborhood. It was a area that was considered, you know, less safe than it is now. And they would be on the streets and they would be doing um, uh, what they were referred to as cheers. Mm -hmm. But it was really like kind of, you know, like hip hop dancing, I guess is what you might call it now. And a, the reporter for that story lived on the same block. And she... Uh, kept in touch with them a little bit. And 20 years later, she decided to do a story for the New York Times uh, about them, like what have, what's become of them. Mm -hmm. and, the story, and so she contacted me to see if they could reuse my pictures. Oh. And then she asked me, um, I want to make more of a photo essay of this. Do you want to be involved? And I, you know, I said after a little bit of hesitation, because I, it meant leaving my kids for a couple of weeks at a time. But I did go back to New York and I went to revisit these girls after not seeing them for about 21 years. They greeted me like I was family. I had wow. not kept in touch with them. They greeted me like I was family, and it was interesting to realize why. I was the person who made it possible for them to have their picture in a national newspaper. Yeah. Now, like that is so memorable and special to them. And it really made me see that I, you know, I make, again, we talked about influencing people's lives. So they were very gracious. Two of them uh, out of, I think, four let us into their homes and let us photograph them with their families. And they were multi-generational -gener homes. And there were hardships. And um, they were very open about it. And, you know, one woman works uh, at, at the time worked at CVS and I followed her to work and photographed her at church and all different places, just following her around. And um, it was it was really interesting to do that and to, you know, kind of that was one of the first photo projects that I did since. Um, leaving New York. Um, I, I really like the images that came from that. Uh, the reporter um, enlisted a couple of other photographers to work on it. So it became a bit of a group uh, project. And we thought that it would be a book, but I don't think that it got that far. I still think something should be done with it but it's just on my website. Oh. <laughs> For now. Yeah. I I liked it a lot and it Thank made, you. Maybe yeah. think back to the uh, the Nicholas Nixon thing and 
that's hard to do. I mean, we all don't live that long to to be able to do things over a long period of time. Exactly. Exactly. Or have the foresight to uh, to know that, you know, this is worth keeping track of. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But, All right. Well, thanks. You know, I, I do. I want to ask you one more thing. Sure. Uh, I, I want to keep you all day. Hopefully you got to eat lunch. You know, we started at your lunchtime. No, yeah, just fine. Tell me your definition of a photo essay. Oh, you know, people okay. are saying, what, what, what do you mean by photo essay? Okay. Okay. What is it? Yeah. Well, photo essay is a group of photos that work together to um, tell a story. They can be um, something that is connected because it's a theme. It could be connected because it is about a place. It could be connected because it's about a person and would show all facets of their life. Um, it's anything that where the pictures are connected. Um, there much so, text involved? Well, I think that at minimum, a project statement. Mm -hmm. um, of course, it could be a much longer form where the pictures are fewer than the text. There could be mm -hmm. uh, more text. For instance, the Jump Rope Girls, the reporter had in mind to write a very long uh, story or a book, and the pictures would be uh, illustrating her text. So that would be a different kind of balance. But I think... Um, for the most part, I think of photo essays as heavily image-based with text that just connects it. Yeah. Good. So, well, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And, you know, photo essays can also be a little looser if it's a, a thematic. For instance, um, I'm just... Just yesterday um, was a deadline for a call for entry that I'm organizing with a couple of other uh, photographers through ASMP. And we put out a theme and collectively the pictures that are chosen will be a photo essay about 2022. Yeah, I saw that. Yep. Yeah, your deadline was yesterday. Of course, we're, this is running few weeks later but uh, right. by then we'll know i think you'll know we'll know who the finalists are yeah and it will be an in-person uh print exhibition in hollywood uh probably running until mid-march but we might put it online also yeah oh i hope so yeah that way we don't have to fly to hollywood to see it well everybody's welcome yeah <laughs> i'd love to all right. Well, Nancy, thank you. Thank you much. Before we go, tell us where you can be found online. Uh, I have um, a website, nancykphotography.com. Uh, my Instagram and Facebook are the same, Nancy K Photography. Um, and I also have uh, all of the images that were accepted to your daily photograph are on um, a page that I have on your daily photograph. And they're still available for sale. And that's, I think that's the extent of my online presence. Okay. We'll get the, we'll get your daily photograph link and put it in the article as well. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Well, thanks. Thanks again. It was just just a pleasure. Yeah, I enjoyed it very much. I'm glad I got to uh, to get my record my uh, opinions recorded instead of just talking to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Next time you want to talk, you listen to it. Write it down, and I will. We can I chat. Will. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. Your thoughts about the show 
go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode. So please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios, found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine. <music>